Well, I've shared with you all uh, at least one of my recurring dreams that I have about uh, baseball and being left on deck. I actually had someone come up to me a few weeks ago and say, I have some insight into that. Maybe that person or someone else will have some insight into another recurring dream that I want to tell you about, uh, which I, I don't know how often, probably at least three or four or five times a year, I have this dream where I, uh, in the dream, I wake up and I realize that there is a class, I'm in college, there's a class that I have forgotten about and today is the day of the final. Does anybody else have a dream like this? Yeah, this is, why do we all have this dream? I don't know, but I, I wake up in the dream and I go, oh my gosh, that's that one class. I remember going to it the first day. I remember getting the syllabus and then I just kind of spaced out on the class the whole rest of the semester and now here I am and it's the last day and oh my gosh there's a final and it's just this terrifying dream and it kind of reminds me a little bit of what today represents because uh, January 1st 2017 was our first Sunday together as a church and Tom Schrader was here and he preached on you know what kind of year was 2016 and how to have a have a great 2017 and now here we are fast forward it's the end of the semester December 31st, and I'm going to basically talk about the same stuff. And so today's your final exam, and you did not even know it. What kind of a year did you have? How are we going to make next year an even more significant year? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so um, I don't know what kind of preparations you put into 2018, uh, into a new year. Some of you I know are planners and thinkers and goal setters, and right, you already have your new, you know, you have the new uh, planner and it's all set out and you've got all the goals and the resolution. You don't call them resolutions, they're goals, right? And you have the goals and you've signed up for the courses on how to keep these goals and, and you just get real excited. Others of you are like, yeah, I don't know, I haven't really thought about it much. My guess is it'll probably be a lot like last year, right? So, so whatever the case may be, wherever you are, what I want to do today is to help us look forward to 2018 with some vision to say, what would we want to see happen this year? What would we ask God for? What would we hope for? Now, by extension, we're naturally, because we're looking ahead, we're also kind of looking back. We're also saying, okay, if this is what we want this year to be, we're also kind of by default evaluating what was last year like in light of this. So that's kind of what today is about. And so if you're just kind of preparing for next year, you might ask these kind of normal preparation questions. Here's, here's a number of things you might ask. You might ask, how will I make more money? Right? That's not a terrible thing to ask. You gotta go, okay, I might, maybe my family's growing or maybe I want to be able to tackle some new projects or be generous in these other ways. How will I make more money might be a question you'd ask. You might ask, how will I enhance my career? Are there some people I need to network with? Are there some new kind of tasks I need to tackle in my career? How, how can I enhance that? You might ask, how can I improve my health? How will I improve my health this year? I know none of you would ask that question around the new year. But uh, most of us would ask that. Okay, how can I be a little more healthy? How can I maybe drop a few pounds or eat better or, you know, you know have better news next time I go to the doctor? How, how can I do that? That's a normal question. You might ask uh, something like, how will I make meaningful memories? I think that's a great question, right? To say, okay, most of life is just Groundhog Day. You get up, you go to bed, you get up, you go to bed. It's just over and over. But there's these times when you go, you know what? How can we plan for, how can I plan for having some meaningful highlights, some meaningful memories? Uh, That's a great thing to ask. Another question might be, how can I avoid any major catastrophes? Maybe this was a year where you didn't have any major catastrophes and you go, dodge the bullet. How can I make sure that happens again? Maybe you're a person who had some catastrophes. This was a painful year. 
So it was a year of loss or of really significant change or of some big disappointments. Most of those you probably didn't even have any control over. And so some of this is even you just praying and asking, God, is there anything I can do to avoid that happening again? I'd like to not experience that again, right? So these, these are kind of normal preparation questions. These are good questions. I think these are valuable questions. What I want to try to do is, is cast some vision for what might be some deeper questions or some more significant questions. And so this is a bit of an unusual sermon for us. Normally we just take a portion of scripture and just kind of work our way through it. Today we're going to be looking at a number of different passages as we try to look at some, some more significant questions in preparation for 2018, all right? So here's the big question that I want to begin with that's going to kind of frame all the other questions. And then we'll come back to this actually at the end. Here's the big question. What if I was more convinced of God's unfailing affection toward me? What if, fast forward 364 days or whatever it is, and here you are and you're looking, in, you're looking back at 2018 now and you're looking ahead to 2019. What if... A year from now, you were more convinced than you are right now of God's unfailing affection toward you. Think about what that might feel like, right? Not just to go, yeah, I cognitively believe that God loves me, but to say, I, what if I was more convinced and I lived out of this conviction, I don't even know the word, conviction, this, this absolute certainty that God was for me that God loved me? What if I was more convinced that the coming of Jesus was not just so God could sort of do something in the world, but that it actually was Jesus coming for me? It was God pursuing me. It was God holding on to me. It was God coming near to me with His presence. What if I could be convinced of that? See, all of these questions, I think that we're going to look at, I I think what they do is they they both... um, flow out of this question, and they actually help deepen the answer to this question being yes. What if I were more convinced? And so we're going to look at a number of these questions together. Now to set the stage, I want to look at the passage that we read just a moment ago. If you have your Bible still open there, it's Mark chapter 12, and a scribe comes up to Jesus. He hears people you know, bickering and asking questions and doing different stuff. And he says, hey, Jesus, will you boil it down for me? Which commandment is the most important of all? And look at Jesus' answer. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe goes, wow, Jesus, you're really right. And Jesus goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> and Jesus actually really encourages the guy because after the guy says this, he says this in verse 33, he says, uh, to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe says, you know what? We do all this ritual religion stuff, but really what it comes down to is whether you love God and you love people. And Jesus says to him, verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You get it. You're dialed in here. Now, our ability to love God and to love others really comes from how much we're convinced that God loves us. But the rest of these questions are going to flow through that grid of loving God and loving others because I think this is actually something really easy to miss. 
I did a thing a couple years ago where I kind of an informal survey with a few dozen people. And I had two questions. And the first question that I asked people, I said, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how fast do you think you're growing in your faith? How much are you growing in your faith right now? And people would answer two or seven or five or you know, whatever they answer. And to be honest, I didn't really care what the answer was. I cared about the second question. So I'd say, well, you know, how, how much, scale of one to 10, how much do you think you're growing? They'd give whatever number. The second question was the key question. And I said, what criteria did you use to come up with your answer to that first question? How'd you pick your number? You said two, how'd you come up with that? You said eight, how'd you come up with that? And here's what I found. Not one person of the dozens of people that I asked this question had any of the criteria involving love for God or love for others. Can you believe that? It all had to do with how busy have I been, how active have I been in church, you know, how much have I read, what classes have I taken, what have I learned? It was very cognitive. But when you ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? Jesus says it's about loving God and loving others. And so if we start by being convinced that God loves us because we know that God has moved toward us, even though we were his enemies, he's made us his friends. If we start with that as this baseline security, I am deeply loved by God. Now we can begin to move towards some more substantial, some more significant questions about how we can love God and love others. And so that's what I want to present together today is four questions related to loving God and loving others that I think can help you prepare for a great 2018. Here's the first one. How will I grow in expressing gratitude? Will I, will, will I grow in expressing gratitude? All right, show of hands here. Let's, a little participation. How many of you would like to know God's will for your life? Okay, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> you just, we'll never raise your hand to anything, right? Because if God came to you and said, hey, Dave, I want to tell you my will for your life. You'd be like, nah, I'm not interested. No, you'd be like, what? What is it? What is it? Well, there's actually a place in the scriptures where God tells us. There's a few different places. Here's one of them in 1 Thessalonians 5. God tells us what our, his will for our lives is. It says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's God's will for your life this year? Is it to move? Is it to get a new job? Is it to have kids? Is it to prepare to send a kid off to college? I, I don't know what God's will is when it comes to that, but here's what I know. God's will for your life is this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's his will for you. Now notice this. Notice that it says give thanks. It doesn't say feel thankful. Do you see that? Give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, God's will for us is not just that we feel thankful, where if somebody asked us, hey, are there things you feel thankful for? You'd go, yeah, my house, my family, my job. And yeah, great, that's fine. We should all feel thankful. What this is saying is that part of the rejoicing and part of the praying that should happen all the time is giving thanks, expressing gratitude to God. It's one thing to feel it, it's another thing to tell him. And I wonder how much of our worry, how much of our guilt and our shame and our, oh, I'm not measuring up, I wonder how much of that could be transformed 
if we just express thanks to God. Instead of focusing on all the things we're not, what if we focused on all the things God was? What if we gave thanks to Him for that? What if we turned these concerns that we have into prayers of gratitude for what God has given us, what He's provided? I think that would radically change our year. I have a friend who, over the last 10 or so years, has moved uh, to probably three or four different cities in the country. And uh, every few years, he's, you know, he, he moves, and he has a job there, and he thinks that's going to be the job, that's going to be the thing, and that's the city, that's the place, that's the, you know. And then it's not long before he's pretty unhappy with it. And so he moves on to the next place, and he moves on to the next place. And you know what? I've actually seen some of that same spirit in me. I don't know about you, but I struggle to be content sometimes. Like, I kind of feel like, you know what? If I just, had, if I just lived there, or if I just had this change, or if I just, you know, right? Like, this is the time of year where you like to live in Arizona, because <laughs> it's great. But like, in August, when you're like, maybe if I just lived anywhere other than the center of the magma core of Earth, maybe then I would, right? Like, and you have this like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's, and, and here's the thing that another friend told me, a friend that actually knows, right, the, the three of us are these friends who know each other, and, and the third friend said to me, he said, you know what, I think the reason why he struggles with that and why you struggle with that is because you haven't cultivated gratitude. You're not thinking about all the good gifts of God that he has given you. And so instead, you're looking at the greener grass out there, and it's always going to look greener because you've never cultivated the gratitude. Will you grow in expressing gratitude? If you will, this year will be different. You will have eyes to see things that maybe have always been there that now you start to see, and you'll start to see blessings of God that you never would have picked up on otherwise. Will you grow in expressing gratitude? If you do, you will finish the year loving God more than you do right now. Here's the second question. How will you feed your faith? How will you feed your faith? How will I feed my faith? That's a question you should be asking. How will I feed my faith? You know this, don't you? That faith is not static. It's actually dynamic. It can grow. It can shrink. It can strengthen. It can weaken. Right? There's times when you have a lot of trust in God and you face this really difficult thing and you endure it because your trust in God is strong. There's other times when you just have like the little smallest, like why is this bugging me? And it just, you're wrecked because your faith is, your trust in God's weak. There's times when your joy in God is big. There's other times when your joy in God is small and you have a complaining spirit. There's times when your, your temptation to sin, it's like, hey, that's no big deal. I can face almost anything, and I just, I just love God so much. And there's other times when just the littlest temptation, it gets you. Why? It's because our faith is dynamic. And so a question that we should be asking as we seek to love God more is, how will I feed my faith this year? How will I help my faith not be this thing that just kind of is over there in my life, but it's actually a big part of who I am, and it grows? How will I do that? Here's a vision that, that I want for me, that I want for all of you. It comes from Jeremiah 17. In Jeremiah 17, the prophet says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, 
for it does not cease to bear fruit. Oh my gosh. How would you like to be that tree? Isn't that who you want to be? You want to be rooted. You want to be strong. You don't want to fear when the heat comes. Your leaves are going to remain green. And when there's a drought and there's no fruit for anyone else, you're going to still have fruit. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to be that kind of a person? Who is that kind of a person? It says the man who trusts in the Lord. Now we see a similar thing in Psalm 1. Almost the exact same passage. And we're going to actually look at Psalm 1 next week. Uh, So come back and we'll be part. we'll, We'll dig into this more. But here's what it says in Psalm 1. It says this. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And you read that and you go, didn't you just read that? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of the same thing, right? Both verses, we'll put them side by side here. Both verses talk about someone who's like a tree planted by water, someone who's blessed, someone whose leaves don't wither even when the heat comes on. In everything that happens, there's fruit, there's, there's prospering. Now, what do these verses, what's the connection? Well, the connection is, in Jeremiah, it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And in Psalms, it says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So get this. Both both people are sturdy, solid, fruitful, because of the faith that's there. Now, what is it that feeds the faith? It's meditating on God's Word. It's delighting in God's Word. God has given us, He's revealed Himself through the Scriptures. He's given us spiritual food. He wants to nourish our faith. What is it that will be the fertilizer that allows our roots to sink in and be strong no matter what it comes? It's the promises and Word of God. And so a question to ask this year, as you seek to go, okay, how am I going to grow in my love for God? A question is, how will I feed my faith? How will you feed your faith? Will you open the scriptures, read a portion and think about it, chew on it? Maybe get through the Bible in a year, maybe not, but... Have a part of your day and a part of your week and a significant part of your life being hearing from the Lord? Will you do that? Or will you kind of be like the person who just every couple weeks has a glass of orange juice and that's the only thing you eat? What's going to happen? Listen, my desire as I preach is to preach sermons that are nutritious, that are nourishing for the people of God and nourishing for people who don't yet know God. That's what I try to do. But if this is the only meal you have, your faith will be weak a year from now. You need to feed on God's Word. And one of the best ways actually you can feed on God's Word is to begin to to store it in your heart because then you don't have to have a Bible in front of you. You don't have to have an app open. You don't have to have something reading to you. You can actually begin to memorize it. And so I want to invite you into a challenge that uh, me and uh, some other of our pastors and leaders and some folks in our church are going to endeavor. And uh, you can be part of this. This is no pressure. But if you go, yeah, I really feel like, man, I should, I, I want to take a step in this direction. Here's something that I want to invite you to do. We're going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians through almost all of 2018. And I want to challenge you 
to join me in memorizing the book of Ephesians in 2018. <laughs> I love, I, some of you just went, what? what? Listen, here's the thing. It's, it, it, it's not going to be easy, but it's easier than you think. It's 155 verses. And we're going to take about 40 weeks. So you do the math on that. It's about three or four verses a week. And if you go to redemptionaz.com slash Ephesians, uh, what you'll find there is a bunch of resources and a bunch of things related to just what we're doing in the book of Ephesians. But one of the things you'll find there is a plan that breaks it down week by week of how to memorize uh, the book of Ephesians in 2018. And I'd love for you to do this. Get this. Not so you can go, yes, I'm one of the varsity Christians that memorized Ephesians. <laughs> right? And not so you can go, oh, wow, oh, you, took, you didn't take the challenge? <laughs> No, 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 no. Here's why I want to do this. is because I need to feed my faith. And if I store it in my heart, then I start to have access to it all the time. And what I know from preaching is there's always more stuff that I learn than I'm ever able to share. So this isn't just about like, oh, this will help me preach it better, though I think it will. But this is something for me. This is something, as I look back on the last year, I'm not, I'm not happy with how I fed my faith compared to what I want to do next year. And so this is a step I want to take. And so maybe this is something you want to do. But either way, the question is this. How will I feed my faith? Don't you want to resist sin? That thing that you keep going back to and you know it's destructive in your life and you'd like to shake it. Don't you want to have more strength there? Don't you want to be a person that even when things around you are falling apart, your faith remains strong and steady? Don't you want that? Yeah. It doesn't just happen. It happens as you feed your faith. So we want to grow in expressing gratitude. We want to feed our faith. That's part of how we love God. But we also want to love our neighbors because that's what Jesus said. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And so these next two questions really get at how we're going to love our neighbors. And here's the next question. Will I grow more comfortable with discomfort? Will I grow more comfortable with discomfort? See, God has made us in His image, and He's a relational God. And so if we're made in the image of a relational God, that means we're going to be in relationships. And if we're going to be in relationships, guess what's coming? Discomfort. Because people are different from us. People see the world different from us. People have different desires and different passions and different things they expect of us. And so conflict and discomfort is coming. The question is, will you grow more comfortable with it or less? Will you be a person that as things get more tense and more complex, more difficult, you have to just kind of back out because you can't take it? Or will you be able to stay in there, stay in the relationships, keep loving, keep advancing the cause of Christ because you're willing to be uncomfortable? Which will you be in 2018? This is what the Scriptures call us to over and over, to be people who are okay with discomfort. It says this in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Right? You go to a men's conference, it'll probably be named something related to this, right? And the guys go, yeah! 
<laughs> one man sharpens another, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. Think about this. We all go, yeah, I want to be sharpened. I want to grow. I want to, I want to get better at certain stuff. And I want to trust God and love other people more. Okay. Well, how's that happen? How does sharp, what, what happens when you sharpen stuff? What happens when iron sharpens iron? Have you thought about this before? Sparks fly. It grinds. It shrieks. It hurts. It's painful. And that's what happens when iron sharpens iron. And yet if we're going to be sharpened, if we're going to grow, we've got to embrace the discomfort of being sharpened. Jesus says this is what loving your neighbor is really all about. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? This is Jesus. Do you get what He's saying? He's saying if you just have to live in the comfort of loving the people who are just like you. They're in your stage of life. They're from your kind of background. They share your beliefs. They share your political beliefs. They share your views about raising kids. They share your school choices. They just share all the things that you like. If you have to stay in that comfort, you are not going to be able to love like God does. You get what he's saying? He says, if you want to be sons of your Father who's in heaven, you've got to love people who are different from you, who might even oppose you, who might even totally disagree with your perspective on the world or on what's important. That's what it is to move toward people in love. We studied the book of Acts this last year, and one of my favorite passages still is, comes from Acts chapter 4. There the church has experienced all this persecution, and everybody's against the church, and the leaders have been arrested, and the church gathers together to pray. And look at what they pray in Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to Your servants to not have to deal with this discomfort anymore. Oh wait, that's, that's not what it says. What's it say? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer of love. God, we have this message that's so beautiful and so important that no matter what it costs us, give us the courage to keep sharing it. No matter how uncomfortable it makes us, give us the boldness to keep going. That's a prayer of faith. What if we had that kind of heart this year to say, God, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, I want to move toward it. Or consider this verse from the Apostle Paul in Philippians. He says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That word granted is the word graced. It's been graced to you. Think about this. Paul says, it has been grace to you. It's a gift of God's favor. A gift of God's love. A gift of God's grace. It's been grace to you. What has? Not only that you should believe in Him. You go, yeah, my faith, that came from God. That was a gift from Him. Not only that was a gift, but also that you'd suffer for His sake. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Is that saying what it... Yeah, that's saying what it's saying. (laughs) 
It's God's grace that we would experience suffering. It's God's grace that we would experience pain and hardship and difficulty. Which means if we're going to follow in the path of Christ, which Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. That, what's he saying? He's saying, take up discomfort and follow me. That's what Jesus did. And that's how God grows us. Here's a quote. I grew the most in my life and faith when everything was super easy and comfortable. Said no one ever. That's not a real quote, right? Nobody believes that. That's not actually true. And yet, we spend our whole lives trying to get comfortable. Trying to have it be easy. We try to spare our kids and grandkids from anything that will be difficult or cause failure. Why? Why? It's crazy. It's not what God does. God is a loving Father who actually graces us by allowing us to experience pain so that we will become more like Christ. You want to grow in your love for others this year? You've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Think about this. What does the world need right now? You know, gosh, everything? Like, it's kind of crazy in a lot of different areas. Yeah, think about the confusion that exists in the world. Think about how much confusion there is right now about sexuality, about gender, about technology, right? All of our lives are being reshaped by technology and none of us really know what we're actually committing ourselves to when we get in all this stuff. There's a lot of confusion about that. There's a lot of confusion about race and about the role of police and neighborhoods and racial dynamics. And that's, that's a confusing thing. That's a tense thing. There's all sorts of questions related to mental health, right? The number of people who are dealing with depression and anxiety and, and bipolar and a lot of different mental challenges, like that's really difficult. If you're going through that, you know how difficult that is. And you look at the rest of the world and they're trying to figure it out, right? And, and these, all of those things I just mentioned, that's just a handful of things. Those are all uncomfortable, aren't they? I mean, maybe you'll go to a New Year's party, say, hey, uh, anybody want to talk about gender dysphoria? Do you think that'll be a comfortable conversation? <laughs> or go, uh, hey, uh, what are your opinions about Black Lives Matter? And the kneeling at the NFL, do you think that'll be a, a comfortable conversation? Right, these are not things we want to talk about. They're difficult, they're uncomfortable. Well, get this. What if the church, what if the people of God totally bail on all those conversations? What if we go, no, no, la, 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 la. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear it. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. I need to be comfortable. What if we do that? Listen, do you know another, a, a synonym of the, the people of God in the Bible? Do you know another phrase that describes the church? We're described in the Bible as the body of Christ. What if Christ what if Jesus himself stopped engaging the world in the midst of all of its confusion? That would be so unloving of Jesus, wouldn't it? And yet, as the church, we want to kind of do the same thing. I've experienced that a little bit this year. You know, we have this tagline, this thing we say, all of life is all for Jesus, and it looks good on the screen, it looks good on t-shirts. But you know what I've found? People are fine with all of life is all for Jesus as long as you're talking about the things that they're comfortable with. 
But we start talking about how all of life is all for Jesus, and that means now racial reconciliation. Well, hey, hey, hey. Could you just talk about the spiritual stuff? And I go, yeah, I am. Hey, 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 uh, I don't want to hear about how the gospel impacts my money and my consumerism. That, uh, I don't know if I like this all of life thing anymore. Listen, we've got to be people who keep moving into that. And it's going to create lots of tension, lots of difficult questions, lots of challenging relationships. Because you're going to find people who you go, we believe the same stuff I thought. But they believe that about that? What? And you know what? They're thinking the same thing about you. Can we even be friends? Can we even talk? Can we? Oh. I'm questioning everything. Okay, fine. Love your neighbor by growing uncomfortable or by growing comfortable with being uncomfortable. All right. Here's the next question about loving our neighbor is... Will you grow more interdependent with your church family? Will I grow more interdependent with my church family? Right, Because this call to love my neighbors is not just to love all the people that are totally different from me, but it's also to love the people who are like me and unlike me in this thing called the church. And the church is a family. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That means we are brothers and sisters. We are part of a family. And some of you are like, I have a family. I don't want another one. I get it. But this is what we're described as. We are the household of God. We're the family of God. We belong to one another, Paul says in Romans 12. He says, we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are interdependent. Listen, you will grow in your love of God and your love of others if you realize and embrace and move toward interdependence with your church family this year. Some of you, you're already really connected. You're in, you're in an RC, you're in a small group, you serve in some way. Here's what I want to challenge you. Will you take a step toward being even more interdependent in that environment? Asking more often for prayer. Sharing more often of an area where you need help. Being more aware of the people around you, right? You're already in these relationships, but maybe you're going, can I take a step toward more interdependence? Could I be more connected? Could these people be more of a real family? And could I be that for them? So that's for those of you who are kind of connected. Now there's some of you who you're not connected really at all beyond this moment. Are you come on Sundays? And you are encouraged, I hope, and challenged and refreshed by the worship and by the preaching and, and by God's Word and by the different things, by taking communion. I hope that encourages you. Oh, my gosh. But, but here's, here's the question. Is that it? Like, if you just come to the Sunday show, oh, it was a good show this week. How will that help you grow in love? And so we're always trying to think, how can we move people from, 
from rows into circles? How can we move people from rows into serving? Where you have a job to do, you got some work to accomplish, and there's people that you're doing it shoulder to shoulder. And let me tell you the reason why you need it. Here's the biggest reason. It's not because we need great stats on our small groups. It's not because we need lots of volunteers. That's not why. Here, listen. Listen. Something bad is going to happen to you in 2018. Who will you turn to? Listen, I'm not wishing it. I'm not hoping for it. But if you think it's something bad isn't going to happen, what? Wake up. You're kidding yourself. Who are you going to turn to? Where are you going to go? Who's going to pray for you? Who's going to cry with you? Who's going to bring you a meal? Who's going to keep checking in months later and see how you still are doing? Who's going to be there for you? Maybe you have family here. Many of you don't. Here's who it needs to be. The family of God. That's what we're best at. That's what we're here for. So will you grow in interdependence with your church family this year? Will you take a step? If you're already in these environments, will you take a step toward deepening it? If you're not in these environments, will you maybe join us for Start Here? Will you come to that? And will you take a step toward getting more interconnected and interdependent on one another? If we do that, I think we will grow. So a year from now, maybe we can say, okay, I grew in expressing gratitude. I fed my faith. I grew more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I grew more interdependent with my church family. And then if I do that, I'll know God likes me. (laughs) Wrong. Which brings us back to this question that we asked at the very beginning. What if I was more convinced of God's unfailing affection toward me. Because when we brought this question up and we said, hey, God really does love you, it had nothing to do with what you'd done moving toward God. It had everything to do with what God had done moving toward you. Do you get that? Right? So some of you, you make this list and you're like, yes, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have the best year ever. This is going to be incredible. I am going to do this and I'm going to know God loves me. No, you're missing it. You're missing it. God's affection for you is unfailing, but not because of you. It's because of Him. And some of you are going, gosh, I wish I hadn't come. I already I've failed at all this already. It's a total waste. I'm not going to be more grateful. I'll feed my faith for three days. I don't know. This, I already feel disappointed in myself. Listen, listen, listen. Here's what the good news of Jesus tells us. You're not more loved and accepted because you do all the right stuff. And you're not less because you fail to do it. Listen, I remember vividly, this is one of the only things I remember from when my firstborn daughter came and she was snuggled up like a little chipotle burrito (laughs) on the floor. And I remember laying there next to her and saying, there is nothing you could do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you could do to make me love you less. I love you because I love you. Listen, that is the Father's heart toward us if we're in Christ. He's he's moved toward us. He's cleaning us up. He's making us more like His Son. 
And so the, the challenge to grow in gratitude and to grow in love and to do all that stuff is not something we do to try to earn the heart of the Father. It's because we already have it. And so now it's something that's not, oh, I should and I ought. It's like, I get to do this. I get to give thanks to the Father who's given me everything. I get to feed my faith because the actual words of this God that I love are in this book, and I get to read them. Oh my gosh, I get to be like Christ and move toward people, even when it's not comfortable. Oh, this is what I get to do. I can't believe I get to follow God like this. I get to depend on my church family and be there for them. It changes everything. What if you were more convinced of God's unfailing affection toward you? And so there's only one thing that to me uh, gives me that kind of con conviction, that convincing, and it's this passage from Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writes this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Do you get the logic there? If Jesus was given, if the Father gave His Son, that's the highest price. He wants to do everything to bless you in the name of His Son. To make you more into the image of His Son. What shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, you go, yeah, I think that stuff might separate me from the love of Christ. Right? If your last year was filled with tribulation, distress, and famine, it was a rough year. You might go, ah, I don't know, God, do you love me? He, he says, what if, you, what if you get killed for the faith? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, get that convinced, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What if we were convinced of that? Oh, what a year we'd have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we believe, but help our unbelief. We know that these words are true. But God, we struggle to believe them and embrace them and to be fully convinced of them. And God, I pray that you would this year deepen our confidence, deepen our surety, that we would be absolutely convinced that you're for us that it would lead us to love you with gratitude and joy, that it would lead us to love our neighbors and to care for them and to move toward discomfort just like Jesus did. God, not to earn your affection, but because we have it. God, I pray that this would be that kind of year. In Jesus' name, amen.